Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Crafty Players Beer and Board Game Podcast. I'm Patrick Brophy. And I'm Emmett Byrne. It's been a while since we've done a podcast, Emmett. It has. We missed the last one, unfortunately, due to everyone being sick in December and the general December craziness. Yeah, yeah. December was, uh, yeah, it was a very weird month for work and stuff. There was a lot of overtime and... Yeah, then sickness and stuff, so... But here we are, recording December's episode in January. Yeah, only slightly sick. Mm. Um, so, um, will we jump straight into the news? Yeah, not really not really a huge amount. Go for it. Uh, yep, so I think the biggest thing is Kingdom Death Monster 1.5 has raised over $12 million on Kickstarter, which is stunning it's the most successful board game in kickstarter history and it's also the fourth most funded kickstarter ever um the game does look incredible like the miniatures are beautiful well beautiful um, they're nicely sculpted and made i don't know if they're beautiful they're more horrifying really yeah i mean there's there's some controversy is around the game as well because in the first kickstarter there was a lot of these kind of pin-up models and stuff that didn't actually add anything to the game but they were you know, promotional pieces of scantily clad women, and yeah, it's but Sex it's an incredible cells, apparently. Yes, I think I think the one point that King of Death Monster one point five, which is what they're calling it, is the exact same. There's still a ton of boobs in it, um, but they're just not promoting it as much. They did also. I saw that they also had some male pinups in there, but I don't know if that makes it okay. It's kind of the same thing that was, um, you know, with Conan, if the the, the over sexualization of it. Uh, but either way, whatever you think of the yeah. content, it's uh, the raising that much money as a board game is just absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. The, uh, I mean, the entry level price is what two hundred, three hundred. It's two hundred and fifty was the cheapest to get the game. Yeah, know, so I guess that kind of helps <laughs> to get it up to twelve million. But even at that, like, it's just a stunning amount of money uh, yep. for a board game or for anything really. I mean. So many other big video game board game, not sorry, not video game board games. Video game Kickstarters haven't raised near to that. Yeah, um, really well known companies and stuff like that. So it is, it's just an incredible achievement. It'll be really interesting to see because uh, last year board games got more money overall across fewer projects than video games did. So it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues because, like, well, just to see if the industry is still growing and if that interest is still there. Which I would imagine there is. Yeah, I think for I think it works better for board games. Maybe um, video games go for the money early. Um, yeah. So bef- it's like, can we have this money to try and make a game? Whereas board games is usually we've made this game. We need the money to get it produced and do the artwork and all that kind of stuff. And even yeah. in that, like a lot of it is usually done. Yeah. So I think there's less fear with uh board games and you're more likely to hear of them delivering i i can't think of any off the top of my head major board games that have failed to deliver on their successful kickstarters i know of a few video games and notorious video games that didn't deliver and just disappeared took people's money and they were just gone um you don't seem to really get that with board games as much yeah there's been a few failures but not as like yeah i think the video game ones have been more high profile so yeah, yeah, it's the length of development as well. I mean, to make a video yeah. game, it's it's a couple of years, and you're looking at what thirty to fifty grand per person working on that for the amount of years, plus all the extra money and everything. Like that. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Kingdom Death Monster, whatever the colon means. I don't know if they're going to release Kingdom Death Human Puppy, Puppy, puppy. yeah. Kingdom Death Puppy might be nice. 
So yeah, that was the major board game news, I think. And news that came out just at the start of the year, which I am super psyched about, is uh, Wizards of the Coast have announced their new book for spring. And it's called Tales of the Yawning Portal. Uh, and it's going to be basically greatest hits of D&D Dungeons from over all the different editions. They have stuff from Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, 3rd um, Edition, 4th Edition, and even stuff from when they did, when 5th Edition was called D&D Next, and they released a, um, a test adventure for that. They're releasing one of the popular dungeons from that as well. The For anyone who doesn't know, the Yawning Portal is a tavern or inn set in Waterdeep. Where the most famous oh. adventures in all of the realms, not just the Forgotten Realms, go. And the idea would be that they're telling stories and the, the bartender is telling you about all these different tales. So it's kind of meant um, as a, you can pick and choose what yeah. the adventures, uh, just drop them into your campaign wherever you want. But it is also done as level 1 to 15. So if you want to do a full dungeon crawl campaign, you can just play through all of these in sequence essentially. That's really cool. Are they bringing back uh, a lot of the original authors to work on them or just updating the rules? I don't think so. I think they're just updating... A lot of the stuff, they're updating the maps and uh, okay. obviously the rules for 5th edition are very different from the rules from 2nd edition and things like that. Um, and, you know, they have call-outs to the authors. But even Mike Merles, who's leading 5th uh, edition, was saying it's kind of a kick for him because he grew up playing through these. Yeah. And mm. now he's actually republishing them. Uh, yeah. The most notorious of which is the Tomb of Horrors, which is a meat grinder dungeon where basically people prep five or six different characters going into oh, wow. it because there's just there is what's called saver die rolls. And there's all these things where it is very much from the old school where it's like the dungeon master versus the players kind of thing. Yeah. There is one room that's notorious, which is um, you basically think that to solve this puzzle, you touch this glowing orb mm -hmm. in the center of the room and you think you figure it out and you're like oh that's really clever but it turns out that this orb is a anti-life shell and if you touch it you die instantly gee oh wow yeah wow. so there's all that kind of stuff and they're asking you know is it going to be that extreme and he said uh roll up a couple of characters basically but it's funny like if if that dungeon those dungeons are so notorious are they going to have to modify them so that people don't know so that there's still new surprises in them there for people who are familiar with the dungeons? Um, I'm not sure. I think they're doing a lot of the conversion directly from what they've said. There isn't a... Like, okay. Mike Morales did a bit of an interview uh, about it. And people were like, are you going to, you know, file off the edges for something like Tomb of Horrors? And they pretty much said no. Uh, but the idea with releasing the book is that there's... they Rather than releasing new content, which they've been pretty good at, releasing big campaign books, there's such a wealth of history of adventures and dungeons that new players don't know about and fifth edition yeah. has made DD so popular again that it's um it just seems like a, a clever idea for ha allow people to play all these really famous dungeons which is cool because i was actually looking through or a couple of the old i, I googled top 10 uh D, D dungeons of all time uh, with a plan of converting them and of course mm -hmm. some of these were actually mentioned and then they made this announcement i was like oh great no i don't have to do it <laughs> Let the professionals handle it. Yeah, so that's coming out um, March 24th at your friendly local game shop and nice. April 4th everywhere else. So they're continuing cool. their uh, thing of releasing in brick-and-mortar stores before releasing it online. Good stuff. If only brick-and-mortar stores got them in, in Ireland as quick as they did in other countries. Yeah, yeah. I'm still annoyed that I didn't manage to get the collector's edition of Volo's Guide to Monsters. But... Oh, well. Um... 
Now, we don't have a beer for the show because it's like half ten in the morning. Um, have you had any interesting beers recently, though? Uh, I got... I picked up a good few before Christmas in preparation for the holidays and then mm-hmm. was quite sick, so I didn't actually drink that many of them. Uh, and then I got a hamper with a couple of beers in it as well. I got a couple of Third Circle ones. I had the Third Circle Rye Porter, Rye, rye Stout. Stout. Yeah. Um, I was a little disappointed. It was a bit weird. It was, <laughs> I suppose, like uh, thinner and, I suppose more carbonated than I would have liked. Okay. Um, but I had their red the other night, and it was lovely as well. So Good stuff. That one, just, that one was just gorgeous. I didn't really have anything new. I had a horrific beer when in uh, we went out to brew in Newbridge um, for one of our mate's birthdays, and they had a seasonal beer on tap. And I was like, oh, great. So, you know, I got it. It was The idea being it was kind of a Christmas beer. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it might be something like the Delirium Noel, kind of spiced with, you know, cinnamon and orange peel and stuff like that. Yeah. But I got it, and it was just awful. It was, uh, it was like drinking cinnamon, and I hate wow. cinnamon. So. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> but not, I'm not. Ev- everyone who I let taste it pretty much didn't like it, but also got a different flavor from it. Like one of our mates, Carl, he was kind of getting like strawberry syrup off it. But either way, like I got a, I got a third of the way through it, and I was like, no, I can't, and just went and got a different beer. So, uh, wow! Yeah, that, I didn't hear that, that was the weirdest before. beer I had over the Christmas and most disappointing. Okay, um, I've had over Christmas. I didn't drink that much, but I had um, Dot Brew. They released. Uh, they they keep releasing these kind of small batch experimental beers, and they released one that was made with three different yeasts and aged in Chardonnay barrels, and they were calling it like a champagne beer, and it really tasted like champagne. But I hate champagne. I really <laughs> like this. <laughs> So, it, but it was really nice. It kind of had the the same flavor profile as champagne, yeah. But it was lighter and it was more beery, and it was really good. And I just I have no idea how they keep doing it. Yeah, um, I love how like you hate champagne, I hate cinnamon, and we both sought out beers with both those things in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just more curiosity. It was like, okay, how can how can this taste like champagne? Because I'd seen some buzz online on Twitter, and I'd heard people in the uh, off license talking about it going like wow it's incredible that he actually got that champagne taste so I was like right I have to try this yeah, yeah I had really some good. of it as well when you had it and it, it really did taste like champagne it was quite nice but again mm. I mean you'd have a sip or two of champagne and then you're kind of done I don't understand people who yeah. would drink it a lot yeah it was a small bottle I think it was 330ml and I was like oh, that's probably enough I'll move on um, I know as well Marks and Spencers recently they, they kind of have this line of craft beers brewed by different breweries in the UK and um they have a flat white porter, um, which I meant to get that actually. I think it's really nice. Like the notes of coffee on the nose, and when you taste it, the coffee notes are really strong. They're really clear, um, and yeah, and it's it's a porter, so it's quite dark and uh, really nice mouthfeel on it as well, um, and quite affordable. I think it's only about two fifty a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they're really good. I've tried one of their other ones last night. It was a chocolate. A chocolate porter I think and that like again the notes on it that on the nose it didn't really smell chocolatey but when you tasted it the chocolate was definitely there and it was it was quite light for a, a porter it wasn't as dark it wasn't as heavy but it was really good so Tough. yeah it's interesting I have, have this kind of like because it's Marks and Spencer's and they're a large retailer in the UK and Ireland kind of like is it really craft beer but yeah. it's been it's been brewed on by on contract by craft breweries i think so maybe yeah. I don't know. 
It's weird. All right, on to games. So uh, we've only we're only going to talk about two games today um, because it's kind of like year end, start of year podcast, and we played two of the biggest games of 2016. We sure did. Very mech themed, all about robots. Yep. So uh, first up, our friend who we thought would get mechs and minions and then didn't get mechs and minions ended up getting mechs and minions. Hooray! Yeah. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Riot Games, uh, who are primarily a video game developer, released this in 2016. And uh, Emmett, do you want to pronounce the uh, the designers? Because that fourth guy, I do not want to try. I sure don't. We could just skip them. Chris yeah, Cantrell, okay. Rick Ernst Stone Liebrand, which is an amazing name, Prashant Saraswat, and Nathan Tyras? Good job. That sounds about right. We're probably completely wrong, but... Unless they hear this, we shouldn't. We'll we'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, So it's a one-to-four-player cooperative game uh, using program movement and abilities to achieve your goals. It's... Yeah, so you're placing down cards to do different abilities every single turn. So whereas you might be like, oh, I'm going to do this now for the short-term game of gain of moving forward and killing this dude in three or four turns, you might be ruining the fact that you're moving forward one space every turn because you have absolutely no control or very little control. It's just... It's a bit chaotic and fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like, so you have on your board one to six, your actions that they take, and they resolve from left to right. And you'll have five cards dealt out, and people will pick one of the cards, starting with the first player, the second player, pick one of these cards that are laid out. So they're random, so you might not get what you want. Mm -hmm. So you'll draw something, it'd be like, rotate 90 degrees and kill one enemy within range, within a one blast radius or something like that. And you'd be like, okay, I'll put that in the third row because I have nothing at the moment. And then next turn, you might go, okay, I'll take the one that lets me move forward two spaces or another one that lets me rotate another 90 degrees. And you put them before or after that movement, uh, that that command. So you're trying to build it up the, the, for the something that can be handled with in any scenario. Um, yeah. And if you get the same type of card... You can lay it on top of a card you already have to get the second level of that ability, which usually gets, gives you a bit of movement. It'll be like a, a bit of a more choice. So rotate 90 or 180 and move forward one or two squares, things like that. So they let you, they give you a bit more control over what you can do on the on the board. Yep. I think the game had, for me, it had a great arc. Like kind of at the start, you know, when you put down your first card, program your first movement, and in the first few turns when you're doing very little, you're kind. I was kind of like, oh, this is fairly straightforward. I think this is going to be really easy. And then as you get further into it, and you've put out more things because you kind of have to take cards every turn, it got really chaotic, and I felt I was out of control. But then towards the end, when we're you know focusing on finishing out the scenario, I was like, okay, well, how can I use this card I have now? in the context of this board to try and finish the scenario so i felt like i was getting more back into back into control almost yeah yeah so it had a nice beginning middle and end kind of arc to it for me yeah and again the the great thing about it is you can get damage but you can never die yes but the thing that happens is you draw a damage card and that'll it might say rotate 90 degrees and you have to do that immediately which might completely f- screw up the pattern that you already have set down, that you were was like, oh, that was going to let me do this, that, and the other. And then it might actually go onto your board and overwrite one of your movements. Yeah. So instead of moving forward and rotating 90 and killing the guy in front of you, you might move forward, rotate 180, and then move left. And like, yeah. it kind of completely ruins what you're going to... Like, <laughs> Senna, when we were playing, just got stuck. 
against the edge of the map so he was just strafing from left to right shooting nothing like just weird our heads so we were just funny. facing a wall shooting over and over and over like that was so funny but i think i was the, the great thing about the damage cards is sometimes they can help you you're kind of looking at it and you're like i wish i could turn 90 degrees here at this particular time and then you take damage and you draw the card and you're like oh now i can turn 90 degrees right here and it can actually help you sometimes which is great yeah yeah it, it's also um i just found a, a lot of fun uh we played two games in a row first was four player second was thir- three player it is theoretically a campaign game like you can play scenarios one to ten i think yeah um but you could happily just drop in in any of the the campaigns really once you know now i'm sure they they probably introduce more complexity as you go along i think we just played scenario yeah. one and two um we did yeah. it, was, it was just really enjoyable really fun game there was kind of a lot of yeah. a lot of laughter uh, i think there's also because of the board and the pieces and the the minions themselves there's a lot of uh, scope for fan created scenarios and things like definitely. that which i know you yeah. get with um descent some people have done it and and things like that as well so there's definitely the scope uh, for that as well just there is an unbelievable amount of the titular minions in it the second game we played was just bonkers like we had yeah about 50 minions on the board at one point like it was just crazy like it, but and that also it all. lends to it as well it, visually it looks impressive and then you yeah, have a pile definitely. of dead minions off to the side that you've killed yeah. like yeah well no it, it it does look amazing um I'm just kind of worried if it sets unrealistic unrealistic expectations for smaller publishers who don't have as much, <laughs> you know, yeah. capital behind them in future. Because um, especially, say, the minions were, they were all inked, so kind of probably dipped in something that just, it goes into the recesses of the miniature and it just adds a layer of shadow and depth to them that just was so much better than a plain plastic miniature, but... I'm sure it probably cost money. That yeah, it added to it so much. They like they looked gorgeous. the The main mechs, the good guys, are all painted and look really cool. The yeah. minions have that nice, just inked shadow on them. But as well as that, even there's the minions all do the same thing. But I think is there four or five different minion miniatures? Yeah, miniatures. Yeah. So they do yeah, the exact same thing, but they all look different, which looks yeah. great on a board. You don't have them all lined up looking identical. Like one will have a sword and shield when it'll have a big two-handed axe and yeah. it just it really le- it just really helps with the aesthetic and just the kind of enjoyment of it i suppose yeah that well, may be from my point of view but yeah i i don't know how uh, another publisher would uh, <laughs> would be able to do that i definitely think it's it's probably deserved a lot of the praise <laughs> probably no i think it does deserve a lot of the praise it's getting as an incredibly fun game and an unbelievable first entry for um any publisher i mean i I said this to you and you accuse me of hating fun i don't think it's (laughs) particularly innovative in its mechanics but it's it isn't a lot of fun no it's it's not it's not going to change the world but um it's a lot of fun the art is the art style is very fun the boards are just painted nicely it does have that quirky aesthetic similar to something like similar to league of legends and then to something like hearthstone and the blizzard stuff that kind of nice chunky quirky art style but yeah it's it's not going to change the world but i had a lot of fun playing it and i would be i would look forward to playing it again yeah definitely definitely and i think i mean if it's so 75 euros or 80 euros or whatever whatever it is um i think yeah i'd have to recommend it like definitely 
Yeah, I mean, I saw, I was looking up stuff online afterwards and people recommending to play with the same four players and play the campaign and, and that kind of thing, which I suppose, yeah, you could. But in my head, I was just, I like the freedom of just pick up and play yeah, and just drop into it. I wouldn't, yeah. like, it's such a fun kind of almost easygoing game. I wouldn't like to put the pressure of turning it into a campaign game. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. I'm sure some people would be delighted to, but... Um... I can totally imagine it, though, in that case, being a game that people might sit down with their families who are not used to playing games, and you play the first scenario, and they're like, oh, that was a lot of fun, and you play the next one, and there's a, a new rule introduced, and in that kind of context, yeah, I can imagine yeah, it working yeah. like a charm. Longevity-wise, what there's, I think, ten missions, and then there's three different difficulties yeah, that you can challenge so. yourself so in theory, there's okay longevity in it, and then playing it with different people, you're going to get different cards and, and stuff like that. But I wonder how much would detract from it playing it multiple times. Because the second mission we played, um, Craig, who owns the game, had played it. So he was like, okay, I recommend staying in the school, because it's the starting areas of school, and we build up our machine, like our system for mm. dealing with everything, and then go out and get the, the objectives. Which ended up working really, really well. I don't think we were ever really under pressure. No, um, no I think no. in that one is was it if the school took three damage, it was game over. Yeah, and we took no damage at all. Yeah. Like we kind of, it was a lot of fun, and we were like uh, scrambling to look to defeat the minions and everything like that. But because we had Craig had that experience where he knew to not go and get the objectives because every objective you picked up makes the game harder. Um, yeah, where we just stayed and built up our our little mechs uh really helped so i'm wondering if you played it multiple times would you end up like that uh perhaps but i mean there is games where people have found dominant strategies online and if you're just going to be doing that if you're setting out the game to just play the dominant strategy to win are you really playing the game you know if i mean you're not gonna enjoy it you'll be just going through the motions so I mean, maybe you'd have to try... That would be dependent on the player, I think. You know, yeah. You'd be trying different combos of cards. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. I suppose it's like anything, we'll really. But yeah. no, it was a lot of fun. I'd look forward to playing it again. Yep, yeah, cool. Uh, so we also finished, I think, the last game, perhaps, that we played in 2016 was, finally, you got to play Scythe. We did. Yay. Um, we this... wanted to play with seven players, but a couple of builds dropped out. Mm. So we played with five? We played with five, which is the full from the uh, base game. And the the newest newly released expansion adds in two extra players, and would put seven in total, seven players available to play. Um, it's an asymmetric game, so kind of everybody's powers are a little bit different, everybody's special abilities are different, and you're trying to spread your dudes over the map and become popular with the local people and control territory and all that good stuff to uh, gain money, which is your victory points, and win the game. Um. Except on your first game, it says don't try to win the game. Well, yeah, it says in the rule book, not try not to win the game in your first game, so that you can actually just learn the system. Um, and I think after the rules explanation, like I think everyone was kind of like, huh? But then after a few rounds, I think we really got into it. Like it was, it started going quite quickly. Yeah, it does go quite quick when you actually play through it. The, the, there's no real round. It's kind of a continuous from start to finish yeah. as people are taking their turns. It was. I mean, because there's so much in the rules. From your point of view yeah. explaining it, you needed to explain everything. But at the yeah. same time, once you start, 
playing i was like okay i do this and people were like no you can't do that i was like why not I was like oh because you need to, this unlock to move over here i was like oh jesus and i was like okay i do this like you can't do that because you need this i was like ah so it was just because i'd forgotten the rules because there'd been yeah. so many um part of it was probably my fault as well but um but yeah no once we got into it it, it started to really fly yeah i think that the first few rounds were quite slow but uh i mean it's basically you only choose one from five actions, I think, and it's like, but you've you cannot do the action you did on your previous turn, so you're only really choosing from one of four actions, and that's it. Like except I dude because of my faction. Oh yeah, well except for you, but it's, uh, you just move your dude, execute the action, and that's it. Um, it's now. I mean, we've we've talked about this the previous time we talked about Scythe, and we talked about it after we played. The game does have mechs in it, huge, monstrous mechs, but it's not really a combat game. Yeah. Which you don't really like? I don't... It's not that I don't like that it's a combat... It's not a combat game. The... I think I mentioned it in the last podcast when we were talking about it, but it feels like a wasted opportunity for... Like, because the artwork's gorgeous, you have these gorgeous mechs, and everyone's mechs are different... And then everyone has a faction leader and everyone's faction leaders are different. And they're really cool. Like my one um, was the Rusiev Empire, I think. But it was this kind of statuesque blonde woman with uh, a Tommy gun and a pet tiger. Mm -hmm. Which is just awesome. But she didn't do anything. Like she had the Mechanically, she's the same as the mechs, basically. There are one or two small differences. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then even the mechs themselves are essentially farmer transport. Yep. And if you get in a fight, it's just... The the actual combat side of it is predictable. You can yeah, gauge exactly like. what someone can get to. Like, so someone could look at me. I'm, you know, two on the power track. Um, the max card I can play is five. So they know the maximum I can get up to is seven. So they can just play eight and know for definite that they'll win. Yeah, I don't really like that either. Um... You know what they need? Dice, Paddy. Do not say dice. That. I will kill you. <laughs> um, I that's one thing that yeah, I've most of the games I've played, I can see most of the time people have been like, I know exactly what I need to do to win this combat. Yeah. Um, but this has been my first game at five players, and the board was a bit more crowded. So I think like if you were if people lost combat, then. There was a time where I was like, yeah, but he just used all his power and he probably used his... He just used a five card, so if you attack him now, he's going to be weaker. There was a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I, which was much better than the four-player where... Or even the three-player where there was just so much space on the board that when a combat happened, it almost felt like it happened in isolation and you would have been one or two turns away from being able to engage that person in combat again, at which point they might have gotten their power back, so... Yeah, um... I think I keep thinking of Game of Thrones, you know, with the the character cards, the different mm-hmm. abilities, and they can sway the combat a lot. But I was thinking, like, oh, that'd be good in size. But then you're like, would it? Because we've done it. I think we've played games of Game of Thrones before, where someone has you know, the military power and they yeah. really should win a combat, but then a card beats them. Yeah, or kind of something similar in Cosmic Encounter, but Cosmic Encounter is kind of crazy. That's just it's stupid it's part of variance of yeah. the the points. So, I mean, I feel like there should have been a better way to handle the combat, or 
just more uncertainty in it, mm. maybe, but not dice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on, game designers, get your finger out. Um, but I think, like, kind of like Mechs and Minions, I think the system is very elegant. I don't think it's very... I mean, there's a lot of rules explanations because there's a lot going on, but the way the game plays and the way the whole everything is kind of built together is really elegant, but... Again, not maybe groundbreaking in its in mechanics mechanically. Like I think everything, every mechanic in it, I've seen done before. Yeah, but just the way it's all pulled together is really tight. And... No, there's some nice systems in it, and the the you know moving the blocks from the top to the bottom of the your player board to unlock new abilities and make certain things cheaper and stuff like that. It's really nice. Like there's some Those really nice player boards though. In it, but I just feel it just felt like a wasted opportunity. But I think I might be looking for something else. I think a lot of people obviously will like sides because because of the certainty of combat. Yeah. Because that's they can true. go, okay, I have the superior military force in theory, so I should definitely win. Yeah. So there's no room for hero- heroic victories in it, really. I think there's kind of yeah, the, the there's an expectation there sometimes that it's it's a mech kind of heavy combat thematic game where it's not really it's more of a, a slow paced Euro farming kind of simulator. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I suppose maybe the farmers should be bigger on the box than the mech. <laughs> they are in the foreground. Yeah, I know, it's true. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's your first play. And I mean, first plays are always messy of games like that, so... Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to play it again. Um, I'd like to see what it was like not being able to take the same action. Twice, yeah. Uh, it's like, harder. I could do the same action over and over, and I got a, um, I got a really cool card from going to the center of the map and taking the factory which let me upgrade stuff really easily and I could kind of just keep doing that over and over and over. But of course yeah. I had to use my combat cards to fuel it so I didn't have combat cards when it came to combat and things like that. So, um, But another thing was I rushed out all my mechs because I thought that's kind of what you did. And once they're out, I was like, well, there's not really a lot I can do with them. But yeah, no, look, I'd, I'd be interested to play it again. Like anything, the first one's always a bit of a... Yeah. It's always a, literally a learning game. So I would love to try play with Seven. I can't even... I, I can't even... Like that map must be so crowded with seven. Yeah, yeah, and then the the thing about the sixth and seventh factions we were looking at, they don't need the water walk thing for their mechs. Yeah, uh, they which don't. Is kind of a crucial one that keep it keep for anyone who hasn't played it. It keeps you locked into your starting area until you unlock this ability called water walk, which means that your mech can move over water to yeah. certain spaces, like to a, a farming, to a, a grain space or a rock space or whatever it is. Um, and it keeps people locked into their starting space and also keeps other players locked out of going into people's starting spaces. Yeah. It's it's a good way to kind of uh, restrict players so that they get a few safe turns, you know. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good way to kind of protect new players and give them a few turns to get used to the system before, you know, it prevents a more experienced player from building up really quickly and going and invading someone else's home area. Yeah, yeah. But even at that, I mean, by having those areas locked off, that shrinks the board again. Yeah. Because they're yeah, areas sh- that no one can ever move into. Um, yeah. So, yeah, seven, I can only imagine. I think it would still go quite quick. What did it take us? Like an hour and a half, two hours? Yeah, I think so. It says 25 minutes per player at seven is what they recommend, I guess, once you get the learning game out of the way. So at seven players, that'd be... Got to three hours, really. Three yeah, three and a bit. Which isn't too bad for seven players, really. No, no. Although, when you compare it to something like Steampunk Rally, which is eight players and 
that takes what an hour yeah 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 so it depends but yeah we'll have to uh, get that out onto the table again Scythe and Steampunk Rally I'm not sure I don't know if I quite got to the point where I would recommend Scythe um, I'm kind of undecided about it even that, even four or five games in yeah so I can't even imagine playing it with two or one or one well yeah. how does the one player version work there's a, an, an AI deck Oh, I think that, you that you yeah. that you play against, which you can put in to like uh, like a four player game. You can make the AI player the fifth player. Really? Yeah. Oh. Or you can buy multiple AI decks and play one player against four AIs. <laughs> or just don't play and just let the AIs play against each other. That would be really interesting. I I, would, <laughs> I bet you someone has done it. <laughs> Almost definitely. <laughs> Okay, so seeing as it's 2017, uh, we're just going to look back a little bit on 2016 and uh, pick out some of our highlights. Yeah. Yeah. We launched in 2016. It's a big year. 2016 sucked for the universe pretty much, but it was the year Crafty Players launched, so that's the most important thing. It, also, it will my go son down in was history. born, but more importantly, the ca- I'm kidding. <laughs> it's like when people look back on uh, 2016 in the future, they'll be like, Donald Trump was elected president. But the Crafty Players launched, so it was grand. Exactly, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah, 2016, I've, like, I played more board games than ever before. Um, I kind of went through a slightly jaded period, and I don't really know what caused it. But um, in around November, I had to take a few enforced weeks off board gaming from because of work. Um, and I kind of renewed my interest in Shogi a little bit towards the end of the year, um, which kind of helped me overcome that jadedness. Yeah, I remember that. I think it kind of coincided with your spending spree where you had a lot of games and you were, you. I remember you saying you just didn't want to teach people rules anymore. Yep. So you kind of got a bit jaded because I remember you saying yourself, there. it feels like there's pressure when you bring a game to the table, there's pressure for it to be fun for people. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you didn't design the game, so there's not. But anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> um, no, and, and then I as well, I kind of, I started exploring solo gaming um, and a I played a few print and play games as well, which kind of it's opened up a whole new world for me. So yeah, 2016 was interesting. A whole um, new world. 2016 was not interesting. It was developmental. I developed and grew in 2016. Uh, so yeah, I think to coincide with kind of renewing my interest in Shogi, which for me was a game that I re- I played a lot, and I gained an element, a certain level of skill. I was going to say mastery, but it's not mastery. It's definitely not mastery. I found myself appreciating playing games over and over again a lot more. And I kind of found myself in a place where I was less inclined to buy new games. And I have, I've mentioned this in a in our last week's blog post about New Year's resolutions that I have about 15 games that I've never brought down to Newbridge to be played. Um, and that some of them I haven't even played. So, you know, I really need to spend some time this year exploring those games, you know, clearing that backlog. And yeah, just play more games with you guys. Um, I'm a bit worried about work. Work is shaping up to be very, very busy this year. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to, especially around March, April, like I've been, there's a holiday blackout in work for March and April now because of how busy it's going to be. Oh, really? Yeah. It's probably, um, going, to be, it's probably going to be one in uh, May, June for me. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, God. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how that's going to impact my gaming and the crafty players as well. Um, Maybe it'll be the crafty player, just me. (laughs) It could be, but then it'll be the crafty player in May, May, June. So we'll have to see how it impacts us 
gaming and the ambitions that we have for the blog and the website. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we both seem to be inclined to play games we already own mm. as well this year. Um but and I, yeah, okay, so I'll just move on to my highlights rather than just getting into that. So my highlight of 2016 for our uh, our, our board game blog is that I started playing D&D again. <laughs> Basically, um, I talked about this earlier in the year and through blog posts as well. But 100% my highlight of this year was rediscovering my love for Dungeons and Dragons. So you know, I mentioned before that I fell away from playing D&D and role, role playing and D&D in particular a few years back and then board games kind of fill that hole and let me come to the table play games and spend time with my friends and then walk away uh this year i've kind of flipped like where D happens weekly wednesday or thursday it sometimes happens twice weekly with a separate game we have going on online uh whereas board games have kind of become a monthly thing sometimes i'll just will throw one out on a, a sunday every now and again but generally D is my weekly game and board games are a monthly thing so not a great way, not a great flip to happen when you started a board yeah. game website. But there we are. That's why there's more D&D and role-playing content. But yeah, I mean, coming back to D&D has just been such a joy to just rediscover it. Because um, <clears throat> I have such a history of playing d and I've been playing it for more than half my life now. So since I was about 14... I feel kind of old school. I feel like I got I got street cred now. I've been playing since Advanced <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, which I re- first engineered from playing Baldur's Gate, and then moved on to third edition and fourth edition and Pathfinder and loads of other systems and back to fifth edition. But fifth edition just kind of kindled something that reminded me of what I loved about D anD D, and then running the Ravenloft campaign, uh, Curse of Strad this year. Uh, has been absolutely just so much fun running it because it's something I always wanted to do and then when that book was announced it kind of pushed me to get back into 5th edition so I was like yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely going to do that um, so I've been running that and reading through I bought pretty much all the books so far um, James our friend has been running one or two campaigns we flipped over our old Pathfinder game into 5th edition we started a new game online on Roll20 to try that out and been writing adventures and everything like that um but the system itself i don't think i've ever seen our whole our group as a whole so invested in a system there was always some people who didn't hugely enjoy systems whether D &D or or you know something like fate or Mm -hmm. uh, apocalypse world things like that there's always been people who didn't enjoy them whereas now it feels like the people who do play role-playing games in our group pretty much all really like fifth edition yeah, um, I know our friend Stu in particular is he started brainwashing his kids, and I think he got them the <laughs> Player's Handbook and Monster Manual and stuff for Christmas, and they're playing yeah. games. And uh, my sister Nick has started a D and D group in her work. She she teaches um, secondary school, kind of high school age, and she started a group there, and the kids playing that, and it's just been it's just been really great to kind of rediscover it. And I think Wizards of Coast as a whole have really hit the nail on the head with this this edition just with how they're handling everything in regards to the artwork it's very diverse there's different races and genders there's not really sexualized artwork in any of the books and things like that how they actually deal with customer support has just been great people i think the the first printing of the player's handbook the glue kept falling apart on the binding and wizard of the coast will replace it straight away usually with more than one book either two player's handbooks or player's handbook and a monster manual or something like that Cool. Um, I saw someone put up online their interaction with the Wizard of the Coast 
help team the other day and they're like oh sorry about that goblins must have gone in at our ink or something like that like <laughs> the, kind of just how they're handling everything is is yeah. just it's just lovely to be part of that community right now um yeah. so yeah <laughs> 2016 highlights were dnd excluding obviously max being born uh, but okay. yeah dnd getting back into dnd i think so i kind of put together a few random uh categories that we would pick best games in yeah. Um, well, not best games, but like things that we wanted to talk about. And so, best overall game of 2016 for Emmett was uh, well, games we played, not games released. We should also clarify yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, was shockingly Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. <laughs> uh, I've played literally hundreds of hours of D anD D this year. Like our sessions are normally three to four hours, uh, and I've enjoyed almost every second of it, barring when I've screwed up, and all for. Low, low price of about 150 euro. So I have Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master Guide, Monster Manual. They're about 40 euro each. And I also have Curse of Strahd, which was another 30, 40. And then I have another one of the campaign books out of the Abyss and Volo's Guide. So I spent about 200 or more on D&D. Some of those were gifts, mm-hmm. actually. But, I mean, for anyone looking for bang for your book, all you really need is the Player's Handbook to play it. And that's 40 quid. Or you can get the free rules online. Uh, and you can pretty much play with just those. So, yeah. yeah. D&D, best game of 2016 for me. <laughs> so, like, the best game for me is not necessarily the game that I enjoyed the most or that I played the most, but when I was thinking about games that I played and how easy they were to introduce to people, but at the same time how much depth and how much I enjoyed the games, I ended up having to give it to Quadropolis. You haven't played yet. I still haven't played it, and it looks lovely. I really want to play it. It's the components are lovely, big chunky thick tiles. Your player boards are kind of thin paper, but that's fine. I'll forgive them. Uh, the rules are very simple. You explain it to people; they kind of understand it immediately, and you can just sit down and start playing really quickly. The game finishes quickly, and at the same, but at the same time, there can be plenty of like, oh, what should I do? What should I do? Really difficult decisions. Uh, should I do this first or this first, or should I go for that or this? And it's just. It's really easily designed. It's Days of Wonder, so yeah, components are really high quality. Um, and Days of Wonder only really re- release one game a year, and they just make sure that that game is really good. Yeah. So yeah, I think Quadropolis has to be my game of the year. Good stuff. So for this year, I'll play Quadropolis. You play D and D. Probably not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think I can not. commit to a D and D campaign, unfortunately. Oh, I mean, just once, just a one off, my Patty. Maybe we'll see. Your brother plays with us. Yeah, but he's more into the storytelling than I am. He is. He always makes really weird and dark characters. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to tell us something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, the next category is, uh, why won't this game get out of my head? Nice. Try and get that engraved on a, on a trophy. Uh, a trophy. Do you want to go first, or will I go first with this? Uh, yeah, for me, probably Millennium Blades. Still mm-hmm. only played it once, unfortunately, but... I just re- I really want to play it again. I want to see how the systems and the cards work together. And I suppose how it works together when you play through a whole game. Because even the game we played, we played two-thirds of it. There was another round left yeah. that we hadn't played. So I'd love to get a go with that again. I just keep thinking about it. And it's the one where I go, oh man, I must play that again. Just see how the systems work. Because it just looked... It was just, it was just a really fun game to play. And there was a head melting as well. Yeah. Just so many decision points in it that just fried my brain, which is, I think I've recharged enough from the last game, which is about six months ago, so I should be good to go for another game. And on the same lines, to a lesser extent, 
Pillars of Eternity for the same mm-hmm. reason. I've only played it once, but I want to get more into the system and see see does it hold up. I have a feeling Pillars of Eternity might not hold up as much. It probably doesn't have as much depth as Millennium Blades. Okay, but uh, Millennium Blades is definitely one that I can't get out of my head. What cool. about you, Patty? So for me, it's a game that I I don't think I've even talked about this with you, but um, it's called Burano. It's like a 2015 release, I think, by a Taiwanese designer. Um, Burano is like this. It's in the same lagoon in Italy as Venice, so it's kind of like a water city. But all the houses are like really brightly colored, like pinks and yellows and blues. And so in Burano, what you do is you're you're taking these cubes and you're putting them on the board to build up this really colorful city and depending on what color cube you put out it activates other actions which do point scoring things but what's really innovative about it is you take cubes out of a bag depending on your previous turn and then you have to build a pyramid with them so there's like nine cubes on the bottom and then four and then one and you can only take off a cube you can only use a cube that and put that on the board to activate the action that's available. So the thing is, the, the cube on top is obviously going to be your first action. So you have to take that top cube. And then you have a choice of four actions if you have four different colored cubes. But if you only have two different colored cubes, then you can only choose two actions. But when you take off one of those cubes from that layer, it reveals the bottom layer, which means that you can then do actions from that bottom layer as long as you can take the cube that's uncovered. That's and very clever. It's really clever, and just the mechanic, like, you know, we've talked about theme versus mechanic, and I, I'm more of a mechanics player, and that just that mechanic blew my mind. And I, when we were playing it, because I've only played it once, and I was just like, we were all saying that the potential for knowing what you're doing and planning out your turn is incredible. Yeah, We, we feel like it's incredible once you kind of have a better idea of how the game plays. And it's just a, such a simple thing to do, with the cubes and the way they look on the board then as well because you're building up this town and you have these things that you can put out that are roofs it's one of the actions to build roofs between blocks so there's like this kind of spatial element on the board as well where if I put the cube here oh then the next player might be able to put the a roof on it but if I put it here then maybe I might be able to put a roof on it if somebody puts their cube there kind of thing and it's, yeah that it's sounds just... very clever I mean the, the idea of the tower could have been easily done on a player board but to do it in a three-dimensional space it's just very clever and tactile. Uh, yeah. And um, especially with something like a city building thing, when you're literally building something. Yeah. That's very clever. It's really good. And the photo of my game of Burano was our most, one of our top photos on Instagram last year. And then when I did a throwback Thursday to that photo on Instagram, it became, it also became one of our top nine photos <laughs> of 2016. All right. We'll just become a Burano Instagram. Yeah. Thing. Well, this is why I didn't do the, didn't post the top nine pictures from 2016 because the same picture was in there twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just left it out. Uh, yeah. Um, so the game, I couldn't stop playing. Go uh, for it. the next category. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to say Honshu. So when one of my groups, uh, some people I know were over in Essen. They, one of them texted me he's like I have some space in my luggage is there anything you want and I was like yes uh, but I don't know what so I went on Board Game Geek and just looked through a few games and I was like Honshu that's a small game it looks interesting and I asked him to get Honshu he brought it back and I played it with him the night he gave it to me and we were like huh don't really get it <laughs> and then we played it I played it with other people and it it, it just it just I got really not 
obsessed with it but it just really pulled me in yeah like how simple it was but at the same time there was elements of planning and i was like oh my god this is going to be so good when you get more players and i ended up just playing it a lot i mean i played it at lunchtime in work with two of us i played it on game nights as fillers with three or four people i played it at a gen or Galecon again as a filler between bigger games or when we were waiting for people and it just it just saw a lot of play in a very short period of time Oh. And uh, yeah, I just I just couldn't stop playing it. Good stuff, worth the money. Yeah, it was only twelve or fifteen euro or something. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, for me, the game I couldn't stop playing was Splendor, which I we talked about before. You were not a huge fan. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, I couldn't stop playing it because I got it as part of the humble board game bundle on Android, and I have played it a lot, uh, far more than I would have played if I was trying to play the physical copy. I, I already quite liked Splendor, but I've played it more than. I ever would have because of the app. Uh, yeah, I only read, yeah. I only play against the bots and the AI. There's something wrong with the install on the APK. I can't really get online. I'll have to look at that. Um, I think it's because it's not downloaded through the Play Store. Mm. You download it as a separate APK, so it thinks it's an unofficial mm. install. Perhaps, but yeah. I paid for it. Like, it's real. I'm not pirating this, just so we're clear. Yeah, I, I've just played it a lot. I think I've figured out a decent strategy with how to play as much as you can. But the bots and the AI can just go and f themselves sometimes it's just so frustrating <laughs> to play against i played against one and one of the bots actually hate plays it's like one of the things cost seven green to get and i just got my seventh green and the next turn the bot before me took that thing but had no way of buying it and would never have oh. been able to buy it i was like oh my god that is so frustrating. <laughs> it's so annoying. I can't even explain. But yeah, I've played that more than anything else and can't stop playing it. Like, I got maybe 10 board game games for Android. Mm. That's the only one I've played. I was playing a lot of Carcassonne on that with a friend online. Yeah, I must play Galaxy Trucker as well, actually, and a couple of the other ones. Uh, or even with you, if you're trapped in work and can't take holidays, we can just play, uh, play Carcassonne <laughs> on Android. Yeah, bleeding from our eyes, exhausted from overwork. Just playing Carcassonne on yeah. Android. Carcassonne. And we have like four months in a row of Carcassonne podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I, this is you. I don't have a I don't have this category. Yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about solo gaming. I think probably the best solo game I played this year was Friday. Um, because it's so hard, but not in an like not completely punishing and the setup is one thing I've found with Hostage Negotiator is like I always, it's a, I like it, it's a decent game, but the setup for me is too long. When I want to play a solo game, I want to play something that's going to be finished in 15 or 20 minutes. And I feel like Hostage Negotiator, I'm always having to refer to the manual. Now, maybe it's because I haven't played it that often because of the setup that I'm always like, oh, how do I set this up again? So I'm just like, I have to put this here and this here and this goes here and I have to shuffle these cards and I have to take three of these cards and put two back in the box. And then I have to put these cards at the bottom of this deck. and. So even though I like Hostage Negotiator, it just feels like it takes too long to set up. Friday is much easier to set up, and I think the gameplay is a bit more engaging. Um, but I did pick up a game, a solo game called Coffee Roaster, and I think that might overtake Friday. Um, that I has a really nice inset in the box where you literally don't have to set it up. Yeah, you just take off the lid, and then you're like, okay, all my components are separated, and I just need to put this, this, and this into my bag to start the game. So, Coffee Roaster is there. I also recently picked up um, what is widely regarded as one of the best uh, solo games called... It's O-N-I-R-I-M. Now, because I lived in Japan, I'm seeing this as Oni and then Rim. But I, 
I've heard other people call it Onirim. Onirim? I'm not sure. So I'm going to call it Onirim. Okay. Um, and it's per- it's meant to be one of the best solo games. I've played it through once, and I won. So, uh, but there's like seven, six or seven expansions in the box, so you can oh, add wow. in extra cards into the deck. So, I'm going to be exploring that uh, throughout the year as well. So, but for this year, it was Friday. Good stuff. I'm going to throw out my own category that I don't have here, and it's going to be best role playing game, and I'm going to give it to D and D Fifth Edition. Boom. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've actually played any other systems this year, really. Oh, interesting. Yeah, definitely no new ones. There's a couple on the horizon actually I want to look at for uh, role-playing games that I have earmarked um, okay. that I want to see about. But uh, So that segues nicely into 2017. Yeah, games most looking forward to in 2017. For me, there's no really there's no new releases that really jump out. Uh, kind of something we touched on already, but I'm looking forward to replaying a lot of games uh, yeah. that I have in my collection that you guys have in your collection. On the blog, I said I'm doing five by five, so five games played five times, and in that I have Alchemist, Pillars of Eternity, uh, Descent, crap, I can't remember the other two. Uh, did I say X-Wing? You did say X-Wing, yeah. And Fury of Dracula. Yes. Uh, so those are mine. But as well as that, I'm looking forward to, I want to play Dungeon Lords again, because we only played it once, and it was one in the morning, and we are drunk. So I, I played it sec- I played it a second time recently, it's actually... St- spectacular uh, it's really good yeah so definitely need to give that another shake uh millennium blades which i mentioned already brew crafters i still have only played once uh, i want to play max first opinions again give scythe another chance and then alchemist and stuff like that and i want to see about getting the expansion for alchemists which could be a lot of fun and there's four expansions in the one expansion the king's golem i think it's called mm. uh, and they just layer on each other and get more complicated as you go up I would also like to get my hands on a copy of the new Conan game. If I could, not necessarily to buy, but just if I could get it somewhere to play, because I've heard it's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of Descent-type game. So I don't even think it's a campaign, but it's you lay out a board and your scenarios, you're playing Conan and his buddies against an overlord and you all fight. But it's just how they've set up the systems, and it sounds really funny, where Conan can burst through a wall and someone can throw him his axe from another side of the room and then Conan can hit yeah. people, and it just sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Uh, and then Tales from the Awning Portal, I'm super stoked about, because I think when that comes out, we should just about have finished our Crystal Strad campaign. So I'm going to mm, cool. drop everyone straight into that. Boom, get killed by an antimatter shell thing. What about you, Betty? Antimatter shell? That sounds like it's from Star Trek. Anti-life shell, I think. I'm I'm going to get such hate from people who said I named it wrong, but but still. Probably. What are you looking forward to for Um, this year? Well, I have four Kickstarters delivering so far in 2017. Oh, Catacombs and Castles, which is a Kickstarter I have delivering. When is that you? I don't know. (laughs) I thought it was due last November, but they're still like, yeah, it's with the, it's with the, the... publisher or whatever well it's gonna hit chinese new year now so if it's not already published yeah um, yeah, absolutely so let's see i have four kickstarters delivering this year um santorini which is like it's a kind of a it's meant to be a two-player abstract game but they kind of put this beautiful 3d map on it that should be here in january really looking forward to getting that there's a lot of buzz about it online um and i also have a game called Yokohama, which is a, like a deluxe edition with metal coins and stuff that sh- was meant to be delivering in March, but they got they were like a week behind schedule, so now they're going to hit Chinese New Year, which is like s- the factory's going to be closed for like 17 days. Oh, Jesus, really? Yeah. Um, 
and uh, so that's gonna be delayed till April ish. So between that, Yokohama, uh, the Exquisite Beast, uh, which we talked to the guys, oh, yeah. that's delivering kind of February March, and then Vast, the Crystal Caverns, which is getting a lot of buzz this year, is like a four, like four to five player, completely asymmetrical game where basically everybody is playing a different game. One person is playing a tile laying game, one person is doing this, one person is doing that. Um, I'm really looking forward to trying that. The rules explanation for that should be fun. Uh, well, that's the thing. Everybody's playing by different rules, so everybody kind of has. That's apparently one of the problems: is everybody has to read their own rules before you play. Oh Jesus! Because everybody it sounds has like a... it could be interesting, but it also sounds like it could be a bit of a cluster fuck. Yeah. So apparently, it's very good for game designers to play as like a case study in asymmetric playing stuff. Fantasy Flight Games bought the Legend of the Five Rings license, I think, in 2015, which is like uh, it's a world I've always loved um, since before I went to Japan it was par- probably part of the reason I got so interested in Japan because it, it's a, a fantasy world but there, it's all samurai and ninja and you know Japanese demons and stuff like that and Fantasy Flight bought that and they're releasing a living card game I believe at Gen Con this year so interested to see what they do with that and if they're going to bring it to any the license to any like board games and then Eric if they Lang, release a role playing game of it might be able to hook you into that well, there was always a role-playing game book of it. I have the role-playing game book. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying if they release a new one. They are going to continue the role-playing game. I'm not sure if they're going to release a fifth edition because they're on the fourth edition already. And then Eric Lang, who designed Blood Rage and a lot of other games, uh, he's releasing a new game on Kickstarter with Cool Mini or Not, probably in March or April. It's going to be called Rising Sun. Again, it's going to have like Samurai and stuff in it. I'm interested to see what that is. Um, it's not going to be like an instant back for me because... I just want to see what the gameplay and stuff is going to be like before committing to it, but it's just something I have my eye on. And uh, recently, Days of Wonder also teased their new game. So these are the guys who made Small World and Five Tribes and Quadropolis, and they have a new game coming this year from, I think it's Bruno Cathala, who's a really well-known designer. So I'm just interested to see what that is like. I don't know if I'm going to buy it, but I'm just interested to see what they do, what it looks like. You can you can you expect like really good component quality and lovely art. So yeah, absolutely. Every, anything I think anything they do, the, their one game a year is worth paying attention to. I think. Yeah, yeah. Five Tribes has been on my list for a while, actually. I've, yeah, I, I keep thinking recently. I, I was like, I really want to play Five Tribes. I might be able to get a lend of it first instead of buying it. But then I like it doesn't count. Things. I know. Well, then buy it. Yeah, I know. Um, okay, so with that stuff that we're looking forward to in 2017, what about the crafty players? What's next for us? What's next for us? Well, according to us, we're not going to be around for like four <laughs> months this year. Um, I think just focus as much as possible on Irish. Um, any new Kickstarters, we'll be sure to let everyone know uh, of Irish game designers and everything like that. Look at a bit more beer content. See if we can actually hook up with some of the brewers. And yeah. maybe look at trying to release more content in general. More podcasts <laughs> like we threatened last year if we can. Maybe shorter podcasts to facilitate that. What about you? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the shorter pod- podcasts, like we started quite short at about 45 minutes a pop, 30 to 45 minutes, and then we kind of exploded as we added more to the podcast and we started diving into games a bit deeper. So I don't know if that's something we have to revisit and maybe shorten shorten the way we, how much we talk about games or maybe cut out the news section or something. I don't know. Yeah, or split into two separate podcasts. We'll see. If anyone has any yeah. suggestions of what they prefer or what they don't really care about in the podcast... Uh, let us know we'd love to hear yeah the more content in general I'm not really sure what form that would take but I think it would be nice to get more 
content out. I would like to be. I I'm particularly bad at like scrambling to finish my pod my blog posts like a day before they're due to release. So uh, I'd like to get better at that. Um, we are. You just try get better at social media as well. Um, interact more. We've gotten involved with like this favorite game Friday video that uh, the guys at Epic Gaming Night are doing on Instagram. So you can see my lovely mug there most Fridays in those videos. But like Reddit and Twitter and Facebook, we're not we're we're not great at. I'm pretty active on 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 D and D. Well, I'm I'm fairly active on the Reddit board games, but uh. Yeah, Twitter and Facebook need more work, I think. Yeah, yeah. We'll just um, be better people in general. But more game jams? I'd like to do two this year, but given how much how crap work is going to be, I I'm not sure if I'll be able to do one. I was hoping kind of March, April and then kind of September, October, but we'll have to see. And it, we learned a lot from our last game jam. Yeah. Well, no, I'd I'd be looking forward to doing another one as well. There's a nice little community building up and I think if we can facilitate that as much as possible, um yeah. it'd be really great. Yeah, that's uh, on more I suppose personal notes. Next month is our two year anniversary of our uh, monthly board game meetup. Yep. So that's gonna be good. Gonna possibly do a two day thing. We'll see how we go. Yeah, we'll ho- hopefully do a Friday night game and a Saturday game. Saturday game day. Yeah. I'm threatening uh, to organize a trip away for uh, just basically play a weekend of board games somewhere. Yeah. And we're also threatening of, to go to the UK Games Expo. Yeah. Should be good. Um. It'll be interesting, not interesting, it's going to be challenging, but I'd like to do some more of the Irish cons as well. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. There's a big, there's a board game only convention down in Limerick um, that I'd like to go to called NaveCon. Yeah, uh, there's a good uh, there's a good um, buzz in Limerick for board games and things like that. Yeah, so I'd like to make it down to that. Um, I know people who go, so I might, if I was able to scab a lift, I might. Just learn to drive, dude. That's on my personal goals list. If I learn how to drive, I put... I get like 100 euros into my board game budget. So, <laughs> Well, if you learn to drive, you could better pay for your tax and your insurance. And uh, So I don't know where you're going to yeah, get that's, 100 euros. That's, that's the other problem. Anyway, on that note, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for last year. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to see this year, or as I said, content that doesn't interest you hugely that we talk about, or if you'd like to see it split into multiple podcasts so you can pick and choose what you want to hear about, let us know. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening. Um, it's it's been really cool to see like our listens tick up and the visits on the pod on the website tick up and i hope that everybody likes what we do so yeah you can join us on all our social media join us on facebook facebook.com forward slash the crafty players instagram our username is the crafty players and twitter we're at crafty players uh yeah the podcast is on itunes soundcloud and wherever you wherever you get your podcasts yeah sure to like and subscribe and share and give us reviews on iTunes yes that would be great okay thanks Paddy thanks Emmett okay I'll talk to you soon yeah see you soon man Bye. bye